0: I just want to say thanks for all of your enthusiasm for this series of messages we're calling dysfunction. A a lot of you seem to really identify with the word dysfunction, some of you very personally. Others of you, you you just know that person in your family who you label as dysfunctional. Hey, we're all a bit dysfunctional, just some more than others. That's the truth. And today we want to look at what I'm calling families at risk, Uh, The challenge of uh, social media in particular, maybe even lawnmower parenting. And yeah, that was a new one for me, by the way. But the challenge of all of this for today's family. And, And let me admit something. I'm a boomer. And in this church, we boomers are a minority group. Are there any boomers out there? Oh, we got a few. Not many. See, we are a minority and we need... I'm getting heckled already. Anyways... Some of you might be aware, over the last couple of months, this meme came out, OK Boomer. It became really popular with young people, kind of a catch-all dismissal of older people. It it comes from that 25 and under crowd who hang out on TikTok. It's the group we call Gen Z. And this derogatory phrase is not just directed at boomers, no, no. Gen Z throws OK Boomer at anyone older than them who they just want to quickly dismiss as being out of touch. So you will see our Gen Z kids roll their eyes and say to their millennial parents, OK, boomer. And that so irks millennial parents who are so insulted to be called a boomer. Because apparently, there is ongoing conflict between millennials and boomers. So much so that the February issue of McLean's magazine, Canada's national news magazine, came with two covers on it this month. Cover one, it's all your fault, boomers. Cover two, you can just flip it over, it's all your fault, millennials. And McLean's makes no apologies for ignoring Gen X, a generation that's squeezed between millennials and boomers. They just don't exist. So in case you want to know, here's the generational box sociologists put you into. If you were born 1995 or earlier, you're Gen Z. You're kind of the 25 and under crowd high school young adult. If you were born between 1980 and 1994, you're a millennial. You're kind of 25 to 40, which is, by the way, the majority who are here at Fort City. If you're born between 1965 and 1979, you're Gen X. You're kind of 41 to 55. That's the, uh, major- that's, uh, that's the cynical, silent generation sandwiched between the boomers and the millennials. And if you're born 1964 or earlier, you're a boomer. You're the 55, 56 and over crowd. And today I want to focus a bit on our kids, particularly our junior high and high school kids. But a lot of this stuff fits with kids as young as eight years of age. The generation of children and youth who are growing up today are quite distinct from previous generations. And yeah, you're going to push back and say, Doug, come on. Every generation thinks the next generation is distinct and think there are issues to be concerned about, and that's absolutely true. Every generation has said that. But still, there are some significant issues to look at with Gen Z. I'm not going to go get to all of them. I'm going to focus particularly on one. Now, there's an interesting scripture passage connected to the history of ancient Israel that describes one tribe within the nation of Israel. The writer of this history, we believe to be Ezra, Ezra, we believe, wrote First and Second Chronicles, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. Just a little Bible trivia for you. And uh, Ezra wrote, the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. We well, just need to be like that. Like the men of Issachar and better understand the times that we live in. And parents, you, you need to understand that you were raised in a vastly different world than your kids are being raised in right now. And you must understand the times in order to parent well so that your kids flourish. There are a couple of parenting verses that the Apostle Paul is well known for. Well, and and while he addresses them to fathers, really this is good for fathers and mothers, and the NIV translates it fathers but puts parents in the margin, and the message just uses parents. But Paul writes, fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord fathers or parents do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged and what I'm going to suggest this morning is that if you don't really work at addressing the influence on your kids and how our culture is shaping them you will embitter and exasperate your children and the results will be far more tragic than the derogatory meme okay boomer you know what I mean So what I want to do today is touch on a couple of issues that we should be aware of and then offer some ideas of what we can do and how we as a church can partner with you who are parents to raise up healthy, flourishing children. We're talking youth and young adults who know what it means to live life to the full, empowered by the love of Jesus. That's what we want to do today. And as I outline the issues and focus on one in particular, my purpose is not to whip up a frenzy of fear. We don't want to create a bunch of fear-driven, overprotective lawnmower parents. All that does, to use the words of the Apostle Paul, is exasperate and bitter and discourage your kids. It doesn't work. And you'll notice that there was a little theme in our worship this morning. The, you know, we are a no-fear people. So as I look at the, a little bit at what's happening in our culture, you'll have to hang in uh, right to the message, or right to the end of the message, because there's hope. There's a lot of hope. With Jesus and being part of a loving church community like uh, uh, Fort City, there's a lot of hope. So listen, don't get fearful. Hang on, because Jesus really does make a difference. And and for my thoughts on Gen Z, I'm using the research of Jen Twenge, uh, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, and in particular her book, iGen, why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. Now, how's that for a title, eh? Now, the research being done on Gen Z is quite startling. This is the first generation to grow up with smartphones. And the impact of the smartphone on this generation is dramatic. And there are a lot of issues I could deal with, but I'm gonna focus here just a little bit. Now, this is the first generation that actually had a social media account, maybe Instagram before they got into high school. They are the Snapchat, TikTok uh, social media users. I don't use either of those. I did get a few uh, kids trying to get me onto Snapchat, but sorry to disappoint. The iPhone was introduced in 2007. That's when it started. And by 2015, just five years ago, two out of three adolescents in US and Canada owned an iPhone. And what that has done with Gen Z, um, our kids, is that how they spend time, how they behave, the attitudes they hold towards religion, sexuality, and politics is incredibly different than any other generation, including their millennial parents. They socialize in completely new ways. Uh, And as open as millennials are to uh, kind of rejecting traditional social uh, mores, Gen Z goes much further in their rejection of of these things. And, And they want very different things from their lives, and they look at jobs and careers quite differently. Here's what the researchers are telling us about Gen Z. They are obsessed with safety and fearful of their economic futures. They have no patience for inequality based on gender, race, or sexual orientation. And they are at the forefront of the worst mental health crisis in decades, maybe even ever. Rates of teen depression have been skyrocketing since 2011. 2011 is the year we see a dramatic ratcheting up of mental health issues that just continue to increase exponentially. Why is 2011 the watershed year? Well, 2011 was the year when for the first time the stats indicated that the vast majority of teens in Canada and the U.S. owned their own cell phones. We'll get back to that. And here is something that I totally didn't expect to see. I had believed that kids today are growing up faster than the previous generations. But researchers are telling us that Gen Z is actually growing up more slowly. 18-year-olds now act more like 15-year-olds used to, 13-year-olds like 10-year-olds used to. It was the millennials who grew up faster, not Gen Z. I had a mom tell me over Christmas that her 19-year-old son who wants to leave town and go to college in Calgary is totally incapable of going out on his own. I was very cynical, encouraging her not to be such a helicopter mom. You raise up your kids to let them go. She then described the behavior, the issues, and however he got there, he was 19 going on 14. And hey, this is not all kids, okay? It's just a trend, okay? Lots of kids rise above all this stuff that I'll be saying today. Maybe you kids, lots of kids, and your kid can rise above all this. That's why we're talking about it right now. Here's a truth, though, that I'm, I'm not sure parents today understand. Researchers tell us that never, never have kids in Canada and the U.S. been physically safer. Never has it been safer in Canada for a kid to walk to school on their own. And I know you don't believe me, but statistically, that, that, is, that is true. So I thought I'd throw that out there. So, never have we lived in a safer time physically for our kids, their physical safety but never have our youth been more mentally vulnerable. So physically, uh, violence, even sexual assault, it's a safer world, but mentally, we're at greater risk. Uh, let me tell you a story I came across of a girl named Ilof Isaf uh, attending the University of California, Berkeley campus. She came home from a school break and when it just hit her. She was returning from a shopping trip with her mother and felt overwhelmed with sadness and just began to cry. Her mom uh, stood there dumbfounded asking Elaf, what's the matter? Why are you crying? She replied, I don't know. It just came over me and this kind of stuff happens now and then. I don't really know why. Elof just can't explain why she so often feels depressed. So she'll tell everyone that she's fine, that it'll pass, and then without warning, she'll be walking somewhere and the tears will just start rolling down her face. Now this is where you can go and say to me, okay, boomer, Because when I first started to hear about the growing epidemic of depression and mental health issues among our youth, I was totally skeptical. Like I've given maybe 15 years of my life to being a youth director, a youth pastor, a camp director. I've worked with a lot of youth. I know youth, so what's this epidemic stuff? Our culture is just coddling kids too much. Okay, boomer. And then I saw the summer camps that I directed. They now hire a therapist to work with their high school and young adult summer staff because depression and mental health issues are impacting how they serve at camp. And I had to admit to myself that yeah, my experience with youth was long before 2011. My experience with youth was literally another world and that world does not exist anymore. It is gone. You know, Gen Z looks so happy online, making goofy faces on Snapchat and posting weird and crazy stuff on TikTok, but dig deeper and the reality is not so comforting. Let me throw out some trends and generalizations. And please hear me, these are just generalizations, they're just stats. Gen Z, they can't get off their phones, and they don't appreciate the progress that came before them that gave them that smartphone that they're glued to in the first place. And then they use their phones to whine about their feelings online, especially TikTok is the place to whine. And they're quickly, easily offended. I I know that sounds like an okay Boomer rant, but hang in there for a bit. The first signs of serious rumbles about the coming crash and Gen Z's outlook on life and the growing epidemic of depression and mental health issues we we now see came in surveys that were done kind of tracing uh, youth behavior between 2012 and 2015. You see, from the 1980s through to the 2000s, Surveys of high school students showed that they were satisfied or highly satisfied with their lives as a whole. And that grew more positive as you got further into the 2000s. And as you can see on the graph, that all turned around in 2012 when things drastically plummeted from 2012 to 2015. And I don't have the stats that go beyond 2015, but it it, it continues to get worse. So the theory is, and I'll admit it's just a theory is that as teens spent less time uh, with their friends and more time with their phone, life satisfaction dropped at an astonishing speed. Again, that's not everyone, it's just a statistical trend. But you do hear these stories a lot. A girl opens up her Instagram or whatever social media of a, a picture of her friends at a birthday party, one that she had not been invited to, and the girl feels like she's the only one not there and her friends are all having a good time without her. That's become a common experience now. And Gen Z has a a term for this, FOMO. Any of you heard of FOMO before? Fear of missing out? But hear me, at the same time, smartphones and social media can actually have the opposite effect. It does help many teens feel connected to one another, even when they're apart, it can do that. Kids text each other and online and they exchange funny Snapchat pictures or TikTok videos, constantly updating each other on what they're doing. Uh, Some kids, a lot of kids are doing just fine. But overall, since the emergence of the smartphone, the issue of teen loneliness has skyrocketed. A stunning more 31% of eighth and 10th graders felt lonely in 2015 compared to 2011, along with 22% of more 12th graders. Teens today feel lonelier than ever Uh, at least uh, research that stretches back as far back as 1991 just says that the lonely rates are, are really increasing. So here's what we're discovering as a general trend. More screen time leads to less personal social interaction, leads to more loneliness. But again, it is not totally across the board. There are exceptions. The research tells us there's a group of teens out there who as they spend more time on social media, they also spend more time with their friends, or maybe it's the other way around, and they're doing just fine. And that's the light in the dark tunnel. There are these social chains that are social both on social media and with their friends in person, and they love life. Less social teens are less social on social media and they're lonelier. The other thing I should note is this issue of FOMO, loneliness and deepening depression is much, much stronger in girls than in guys, but it does impact both. Statistically, 48% more girls felt left out, felt FOMO in 2015 than in 2010. Only 27% more boys felt left out in 2015 than 2010. That's still a big increase for guys, but the increase is almost double for girls. And all of these stats, you know, just in all of them, the girls outstrip the guys by a long shot, but it does impact guys as well. Now, in an age where millennial parents, that's most of you who are parents, give their kids an A for everything they do, and I'm not saying that's all of you, but you know the trend. Give an A for everything the kid does and insist that their teachers and coaches give them an A whether they deserve it or not. Here's what's happening. In 2015... 40% of teens in North America said, I can't do anything right. Almost a third of teens said, my life is not useful. And 29% of teens said, I do not enjoy my life. And one theory is that social media might be part of the problem. Many people only post their successes online, not their failures, and so kids don't realize that their friends fail too. If they just spent more time with friends in person, they would have a more realistic picture of what's going on. And the divide between girls and guys is something to wrestle with. It used to be that the stats on depression in teen girls and teen guys were about the same. But between 2012 and 2015, depression in teen boys increased by 21%. That's a pretty big increase. But in the same period of time, depression in girls increased 50%, more than twice as much. A survey of colleges and universities in the U.S. Are you handling all this stats? Just getting thrown and thrown and thrown at you. Hang in there. A survey of colleges and universities in the U.S. between 2009 and 2016 saw feelings of being overwhelmed increase by 51%. The need to seek counseling increased by 64%. And in U.S. colleges, the feeling of depression increased by 95%. All this seems to go hand-in-hand with the rise of smartphones. Why might smartphones cause depression? Well, for one, not getting a reply to your text or social media message has a high potential for causing anxiety, and anxiety leads to depression. The emphasis on perfect selfies has amplified body image issues for girls who often chase likes by taking hundreds of pictures to get just the right one, but still end up feeling like they've fallen short. And yeah, I could keep going with a ton of data that would just terrorize so many parents, so just let me leave it at that. I've made my point. We just need to be like the people of Issachar, trying to understand the times, and that's what we've just tried to do. But remember, as followers of Jesus, we are a no-fear people. As followers of Jesus, there is a way through this as complex as it is. And I know, right now some of you are thinking the solution is I'm going to take that phone away from my kid as soon as we get home. We'll never see a cell phone again, right? Unfortunately, the chances of that helping at this point in time are actually pretty slim, even if you homeschool. Your kid would basically have to live in another world where no one else has a smartphone and they're not aware that they exist. If, and that's not going to happen. If you totally deprived your kid of social media access, all you would be doing is promoting FOMO. The fear of missing out. It's just a catch-22 situation that we're in the middle of right now. And there are other issues that work on this besides smartphones, I just don't have time to deal with them, but the smartphone seems to be the watershed issue. While taking your kid's smartphone away will probably backfire, you, you can do some other things like holding off and giving your kids a smartphone as long as possible, and quite honestly I'm not sure what that point is, I just know that a little later is better than earlier. But here's a great idea that you should consider. Not allowing screens of any form in the bedroom, especially at night. I I don't have time to explain it all, but this one restriction creates self-discipline, encourages proper sleep, and pushes back on screen addiction. I think the key is to limit phone use and screen use uh, rather than eliminate. So it's, it's limit rather than eliminate but now let me talk a little bit about how faith in the loving presence and power of jesus is part of what can powerfully turn these statistics around in the lives of our kids i'm going to suggest several ideas and call all of you whether you're a parent or not to help make them happen so number one in your home work at creating a specific family identity and culture based on the foundation of your faith in the life transforming love of jesus i I know that's very wordy but i just want our homes need to be a place that where jesus is alive at work we can see him uh, we can see his hand at work parents grandparents relatives friends we we have to make much about jesus in our homes in a way that makes the supernatural jesus a natural and not a weird part of who we are as a family that core to our culture as a family core to our identity is our faith in the living jesus A Jesus who we hear, a Jesus who we see at work, a Jesus who is alive and well, and our family can see that Jesus is alive and well. Moses, speaking to the nation of Israel, described it like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, the home is the place where we make much about Jesus. We talk about Jesus, we pray to Jesus, we use meal times, dinner times to include faith in our conversations. You know, as my kids grew up, we had a short time uh, uh, reading an easy-to-read Bible story from a well-written kid's Bible story book. We then would briefly, it was brief, talk about the story, and we prayed. If you want a suggestion, I think the Action Bible is a great place to start. You can get that online. I, I found out, some f- I-, I heard of a family that keeps a prayer journal. It's an awesome idea, where they record major family prayer requests, and then they record how God answered them That is so powerful. It's such a cool idea. And at the end of the day, Jane and I would spend time with each of our kids, reading to them, praying with them, talking one-to-one with them about their day. Our kids need to see Jesus actively at work in their lives, our lives, in our world. And you know, something that I would add to that evening ritual that we did that I didn't, if I were to do it again, is I would ask my kids if they saw Jesus at work during the day. Uh, We need to help our kids know that Jesus is around, that that we are never alone, that they can walk and talk with Jesus all day long, and and that we can talk together about how Jesus turned up in our days. And that means you as a parent share where Jesus turned up in your day, and you encourage your kids to share their stories. And we just don't learn about Jesus. We experience Jesus together. Let me add, I'm convinced whether it's Bible stories or anything one of the most powerful family rituals is the bedtime story. And it's a great time to read some classics to your kids and talk about what they mean. Uh, you know, some classics like The Lion, The Witch and the World or by C.S. Lewis or Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, The Lord of the Ring trilogy, maybe if the kids are a little older by Tolkien. Reading and, and storytelling and doing it without a screen is a powerful habit. And then you get into conversations about the story and don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. You know it's okay to have a family that's a little bit countercultural. You can be countercultural in a good way. You can, in your home, lift up values that teach kids to love God with all they got and to love their neighbors, even as Jesus loves them. You can make the supernatural Jesus a part of your family culture. Meal times together are important. Bedtimes are important. Things that family does just as a family are important. And you make sure that the supernatural Jesus is a part of natural conversation. And and are you getting the idea that Jesus needs to be experienced in the home, not just acknowledged? This is not a head thing. And in the process, your kids gain a friend who will never leave them or forsake them. And your kids come to know not only do you love them, but they experience the God who created them that he loves them and they actually experience the presence of power of god for themselves and that is so so powerful in the battle for mental health and personal happiness and you as a parent you can do this you don't have to know the bible inside and out to do this you you just talk about what you do know you just read the stories together and have an honest discussion together you uh share your personal experience of jesus and maybe the question is are you experiencing jesus and By the way, that's why the Holy Spirit Weekend coming out, I think that's a really important thing. I was thinking about it last night. Might be the best parenting course we have. It's all about you getting in touch with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Could change your life. Okay, a second thing for you to do this is part of creating a specific family culture and this one will take a bit of work um, but number two make your home and your property your yard the place to be for the kids in your neighborhood and the kids from your children's classroom one of the commands that we are to teach our kids is love your neighbor as yourself and that might just start by loving the kids in your neighborhood let the friends of your kids know that the door of your home is open always is that a scary statement that your home is a fun, safe place to hang out. Sure, you have a few rules, but don't overdo it. Just make your home the place to be. Jane and I used to do this a bit with our kids growing up, and and I remember two guys in particular uh, who would just come to our home, whether the kids were there or not. One would actually bring his homework with him and just sit in the corner of our dining room or living room, and he would just work away quietly and then join us and the kids for dinner and be part of the Bible story at dinner, and uh, the door was just always open. And you know, there's something fun and awesome about being flexible enough that you never know who's going to be at the dinner table, and kids actually feel free to just walk in and join you. Remember all those disturbing stats that I just gave you? Again, there was a solid exception to them. There were these kids who simply valued hanging out with friends while they were also engaged with social media. These kids were interpersonally social, yet lived with social media in a, what I call a supplemental way. And these kids defy the stats. They loved life, they're flourishing, and this is where I see a lot of hope. And, and I think we can do that if we're intentional. Because I believe that uh, some of all this that we're talking about comes not just comes from the kid's particular personality, because some of you can say, oh no, that my, my kid's an introvert, it doesn't work. Um, but actually some of this comes from the culture or the environment of your home that fosters a lot of social interaction with friends. So that social media is not a substitute, but a supplement to personal interaction. And for those of you with introverted kids, and by the way, the majority of kids in Canada um, are, are introverted, it, it, they need as much social interaction as anyone else. It just means that they need some time away that you got to re-energize. So you just got to pace all of this for them. So don't let your house be a fortress. Let it be a mess sometimes. Get some games going, and not just games in front of the screen. I'm not saying never on that, just not do other things. Maybe get the kids building something, saws, hammers, and nails, right? Or doing crafts. Uh, We, I should just say maybe that was me. Set up a BB gun range in the unfurnished part of our basement. It was a hit, I tell you. Or or hey, when, when your family does something together, invite the friends to join you. Just do things that keep social interaction happening. And uh, your, your introverted kids need this just as much as anyone else. But yeah, it does cost you a lot of time and energy. You as a parent play a catalytic role in making this happen. But for your kids to flourish with all the pressure that's around them, with kids increasingly withdrawing from personal social interaction, you gotta invest to make it happen. And your kids will be so much the better for it and you will have a huge impact on their friends. Okay, one last important part of the puzzle is this. Number three, make Sunday services and youth ministry a priority for your family and commit to help making those ministries happen. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. And friends, this is particularly important for our kids is, you know, as long as they're living with, in our homes. And we're not just talking about teaching the kids about Jesus here. And that happens we're talking about a place to develop healthy relationships with caring adults as well as connecting socially with kids in a healthy envor- environment an environment that just makes much about the living jesus what we do with our kids is not school it's community it's not just about getting a head knowledge about jesus it's about experiencing the life-changing love of jesus in the context of friends and loving mentors We create a safe place for kids and youth to be themselves, maybe talk about some things that they might not want to raise at home, and we push back against negative influences in a positive way through the power of community, Christian community, Jesus, the love and power of Jesus at work. Sports are great, they're awesome, but if there was ever a time in history when things like Kid City, Sunday services, and youth group should be the top schedule of the priority, you know, priorities of the our family schedules, it's now. And we as a church, we partner with you to help you raise your kids so that they flourish and so that they come to know and experience Jesus for themselves. And this also, by the way, means that we need you, whether you're a parent or not, to get involved, volunteer, be part of the team in Kid City or Tuesday Night Youth or a Thursday lunch program. You've heard it said it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a church family to raise healthy flourishing kids who rise above the negative pressures that are all around us it just does you know even today you could uh right after the service go to the connection desk fill out a connection card and let us know that you would like to help help with kid city help with youth now we got great teams there right now but we're growing as a church and we just need more workers the need is real we need you we do The idea is we just got to work together to create healthy environments that allow our kids and youth to flourish and you can help make a difference in the lives of kids seriously I I challenge you to consider getting involved in kid city or youth ministry because if ever there was a time we needed stronger kid and youth ministries it's today so much more I want to say but we're limited by time but do hear me I am convinced that as scary as the stats are those stats can be overcome in homes that make much about Jesus in homes that are the place to be for every kid in the neighborhood where where it's just places of social interaction and in homes that partner with their church and that means you're committed to getting to church, to Kid City, to youth ministry and that you will help make it happen. Friends, our God is still on the throne. Jesus still fills and changes and empowers lives that flourish and as we love our kids and their friends with the love of Jesus, we will raise up a generation of flourishing adults. are you up for the challenge seriously I'm pumped for this year we can do this all things are possible and our kids are going to change the world they are will you join me in prayer I'm going to pray as you that you can raise up kids as we partner together and raise up whole healthy flourishing kids father God though this world is changing rapidly though our kids are experiencing new pressures and influences that have never existed before you are still on the throne You love our kids and you are in the business of changing lives for the better now and forever. So God, would you empower us to create loving environments in our homes and in this church that make much about Jesus? Environments that introduce our kids and their friends to Jesus so they can experience Jesus powerfully, personally for themselves, finding the life that you promised to give. And would you build our homes in this church into places where people connect powerfully with one another? where our kids build strong, healthy connections. And may our kids be raised up to yearn to connect personally with each other and to never accept social media as anything more than supplemental to the real experience of life-giving relationships. Would you empower us to do that? Empower us by a supernatural work of your spirit to be a church family where we grow in the number uh, who love God with all we got and love one another, that we love our neighbors as you love us, We pray this in Jesus' name for the transformation of the kids in our city.